Hallelujah. Well, go ahead and say this with me. I hunger. I hunger for growth. I hunger to see the goodness of God right here in the land of the living. I hunger for peace. I hunger for righteousness. God, I hunger for you. God, we're hungry. This morning our hearts have been calling for you, and here we have come. We've come before your throne. We come to open the word. We thank you that your word is alive, that the Bible says that it is quick, it is powerful, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides between what are our thoughts and what are your thoughts. And so today, God, we seek your thoughts. Let it not be our words and, and our ideas of how it is. Holy Spirit, we want your words today. We want your touch. You know, the Bible says that you sent your word and it healed us. And so we thank you for health in our bodies right now. We thank you for health in our minds. We thank you for perfect wholeness, that you are our peace, that there is nothing missing and there is nothing broken. And so this day, Lord, we go ahead and we say again, I hunger. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, are you excited to continue on in our series on hunger again this morning? I think we are week seven, and we'll be coming in for a landing soon. And, I, you know, I think I say that a lot when we're doing series. And then as I'm going through, I'm like, I think I'm going a different direction, and the Holy Spirit keeps bringing back. And I promise this will not be a six-month series like the last one. But blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Say, I'm being filled. When we hunger after righteousness and we hunger after the things that only God can provide, His presence, His peace, His satisfaction, when we hunger after Him, we find those things. It's just like what Jesus said Himself. He said, ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. And often when it comes to the things of God, we have a, have a more of a mentality that well, this might happen. He didn't use might words. He didn't use kind of maybe words. He used certainties. When you ask, you receive. When you seek, you do find. And when you knock, it is open. So we got to think about that. If we haven't been finding anything, maybe we haven't been looking for anything. If we have zero expectation of receiving from God, guess what? That expectation will be met. You know, I like what Brother Hagin used to say. He said, a man gets what he believes for. Nothing more, nothing less. And so if you believe God's not good, you won't receive of his goodness. If you believe that healing is not for today, guess what? You won't find yourself walking in his healing. If you don't believe provision is for you as a child of God, you won't walk in his provision. And so if we have zero expectation, we receive little. You know, there's still things that fall into our lives just because of his mercy. Him and his mercy. Going beyond what you could do or what you could believe. Letting his mercy flood your life. But hunger brings us to the table of the master. It is a drive. It is a call that is on the inside of us. There is something on the inside of you that is calling out for God. And the world has many different ways of trying to fill that on their own. But it will never satisfy. You know, if we even think about just the earth. It says the whole earth groans 
for the revealing of the sons of God. There's a call and a groan within the earth to see you stepping up into the fullness of what God has called you to be sons and daughters of Almighty God. And so if the earth has a groan and a drive and a call on it, how much more the sons and daughters of God when it's crying out on the inside that there's just something, God, I can't fill on my own. I'm hungry for you, and so I'm coming. And it brings us to the table of the Master. And when we come to the master, it is not his things which satisfy. It is him himself. We don't seek God for the blessing. We come to the one who blesses. We don't seek God for healing. We come boldly to the healer. We don't seek God for prosperity. We seek God. And it says those who seek after him, all these things shall be added unto them. We don't have to be so um, things-minded. The world has a thing, I, I need more, I need more, I need this, I need that. We've got to keep up with the Joneses. You don't need that. You need God. And he satisfies and provides in a way that you couldn't even comprehend. As Paul prayed, he said that it would be more than we could ask, think, or imagine. He goes above and beyond. So when we seek him, man, he says, how, he who did not hold back his own son, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Those are his words, not our words. And so we seek after him and not his things. We come before the table just to sit with the master. And as relationship flourishes and grows, you know, your enjoyment also grows. You know, there, there's people that you, you met and it was like, oh yeah, we had a good meeting. But then as you allowed that relationship to grow, you spent more time with them, right? You had more conversations, and as time went on, the relationship began to flourish and to grow, and you began to draw more from that relationship than you did on that, hi, nice to meet you, I'm so glad, glad you're here with us, good. You know, that's how a lot of people were with God. They've had that meeting and that introduction, but we got to let the relationship grow and flourish. When you think about it, he knows you personally by name. He knows all the hairs that are on your head. He knows everything about you, and he's seen your end from your beginning. He knows everything you're going to do. And here's the reality that, you know, even in the worst thing you've ever done in your life, God was right there with you. <laughs> and so we, we have to understand that relationships grow, and you get out of a relationship what you put in. If you spend no time and you give no input, you don't receive from that type of relationship. And so we come to him, not for what he provides, but for him himself. And as we were last week in Psalm 23, 5 in the Passion Translation, it says, You, you God, you become my delicious feast. It's not what's at the table. God, you become my delicious feast. Even when my enemies dare to fight, you anoint me with the fragrance of your Holy Spirit, and you give me all I can drink of you until my heart opens. Love that that is such an awesome rendering of that scripture because he is what I seek and so last week for a, just a short portion of our message we started looking at Jesus's most uh, controversial message that he preached the most offensive thing that he told the people and we found that in John chapter 6 and in verse 51 he says I am the living bread which came down from heaven and if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. 
And so when the people heard him talk in these types of terms, they're thinking, oh my goodness, Jesus wants us to cannibalize him. He wants us to eat his body and drink of his blood. And it said many were offended at him. And he turns to his disciples and he says, are you guys also going to be offended? And then a bunch left him and followed him no more. And he said to them, are, are you guys going to leave as well? And they said, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so here, if we look at this, he says, the, the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Now, that, that's an intentional word that Jesus used there. It's the word life. He's not talking about natural life. The word he used there was zoe. It's the God quality and the God kind of life. He said, when I give of my life, you then can partake of God's life, the only type of life that God can give. And just as Jesus said in John 10, he said, I've come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. And so in this most offensive message that Jesus preached, what he was trying to say is when you partake of me, you find heaven. And what did Jesus say when he was teaching his disciples how to pray? He said, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, here on earth as it is in heaven. We need to stop waiting for heaven for heaven and realize Jesus said, I want it here on earth. I want it to be flowing through you as you partake of me, as you have relationship with me. And so I want to back up and I want to take a little bit more of an in-depth look at this message that Jesus was preaching and what was going on. And you interested in that this morning? Good, because I'm going to do it anyways. But I'm so glad that you agree with me. If we back up to verse 22 of this chapter, it says, On the following day, so this is following something that has happened. What is this following? What day is it following? It's following the day when he fed the 5,000. And so he's multiplied the bread and the fish, and, and he's fed this massive crowd. There was 5,000 men. So when you include women and children, it was probably like 20,000 people that Jesus has just fed by breaking up a few loaves and fishes. And it says they all ate until they were filled, and then they had little baskets full left over. So this is the next day. What happened in between the feeding of the 5,000 and this message that Jesus is about to preach is he tells his disciples, guys, I'm tired. You get in the boat, and you go to the other side. I'm going to go off into pray. And while they're out in the middle of the, of the sea, a big storm comes up, and it's swamping them over and over, and they've been rowing and rowing and rowing all night, and they've gotten nowhere. And then here comes Jesus walking on the water, and it says he was about to pass them by, meaning like they're struggling, and he doesn't care. He's going. He's just walking by, and they cry out, and they say, it's a ghost. And he's telling them, maybe I should deal with this. And he turns to them, he's like, it's okay, guys. Don't be afraid. It's just me. And then Peter says, if it's you, Lord, bid me to come. And so Peter, Jesus says, come, and Peter jumps out on the water, and he walks on the water too. You know, we often think that Jesus is the water walker, but Peter got to do it too. Good man, he was partaking of heaven. He was tapping into that life source that Jesus came to bring. And so Peter got out, and he's walking on the water towards Jesus. But as he got his eyes off of Jesus, he began to look at the wind and the waves. And as he began to put his focus on them, it says he began to sink, which I think is one of the greatest miracles in the Bible. 
because anytime I've ever jumped off a dock or off a boat, I don't begin to sink, I sink. It happens pretty quickly, right? You go, bloop, into the water. And so we got a picture. This is what Peter doing. He, he begins to sink, and he's slowly going down. Like, that's a miracle. It's like as his faith was slowly becoming detached off of Jesus, it wasn't like an instant thing, but he was just like, oh my goodness, those waves are pretty big. I can't believe I'm out of here on the boat. I'm what's going on. I'm going on. And he begins to cry out, Jesus, I'm sinking. And Jesus reaches out his hand, pulls him up, and they walk together back to the boat. And then John says, immediately, they were at the other side. So they've been struggling and struggling. They've been rowing and rowing, and they're getting nowhere. The wind's holding them back. And as soon as Jesus gets into the boat, boom, they're where they need to be. Whew. This is the following day. So we've just had some pretty tremendous things that have happened. So that's our context. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except the one that his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but the disciples had gone away alone. So the people that partook of the bread that Jesus broke are now standing there on the shore. They knew there was one boat. They saw the disciples get in it. Jesus did not. They left. So they're like, okay, Jesus is around here somewhere, and they're searching for him. And in the meantime, it says, however, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. And when the people therefore foresaw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into the boats that came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So in the meantime, Jesus' Jesus' disciples took the only boat. Jesus didn't get in it. In the morning, other boats now came to them, and they're like, we can't find Jesus. We know his disciples left. So they got in the boat, going across to seek Jesus. Verse 25. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said, Rabbi, when did you come here? This is a really poor translation. It's more of, how did you get here? Physically, there was not enough time for him to walk around the Sea of Galilee to get to where they just arrived. So they followed the disciples, knowing eventually Jesus is going to show up with his disciples again, right? And they find Jesus there, and they're like, how did you get here? And so it's a pretty amazing moment for them. But Jesus goes a completely different direction. And Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because of the loaves, and you ate the loaves and were filled. He said, you're not following after me because of everything that I've done and everything that I stand for. The only reason you're following me right now is because I filled your belly with some natural food. So think about it. We've had some crazy miracles that have happened up until this point. And Jesus is saying, the only reason you care is because there was a natural need that was filled. You need to look further than that. Don't just look for that, the provision, and be like, oh, it was great, my belly was full. He he said, you didn't come here because of the signs. You came here because of the full belly. And he says this in verse 27. Do not labor for food which perishes, but for food which endures to everlasting life, or God-quality zoe. He says, for the, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. 
And so it's not that he's saying here, don't worry about having to, you know, raise sheep or cows or grow your food, but he's saying that shouldn't be the object of all our attention, and that's not what we're trying to receive from God. He's saying, I'll give you the food which endures to everlasting life. Come on. And so Jesus, he, this is an awesome thing about him, and you can do the same thing by the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes when you're in a conversation, the Holy Spirit will let you know what they actually want and what they're actually thinking. You don't have to be left in the dark and be like, well, do they want to do this? Don't they want to do this? No, Jesus, we saw it so many times that he was just, he all of a sudden perceived their thoughts and he knew what was going on. And so they said one thing, but they, he knew they were looking for something else. And so he corrects them on it and they blow right by it in verse 28. He says, Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And so here they're saying is like, Let us do this so that we then don't need you. Whew. Come on, we're talking about coming to the master's table. And throughout my, my life as a Christian and being a pastor, I've seen so many people that are like, God, I'm believing you for $500 million. And you know why they're saying that? So that way I never have to believe for anything else in my life. They're looking for self-security. You will never find self-security. Even if you've got billions of dollars, you need Jesus. And so they're saying, what can we do that we can work the works of God? How can we do it so that we can get you out of the picture and let us be the one that does it? And the, if you think about it in one sense, there's nothing wrong with working the works of God. But what Jesus said, he said, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. The first and major focus is belief in God. What is belief? Belief is trust. It's a firm persuasion. It's a confidence that rises up from you that I know my God. I know what his character is. I know how he comes through. I know how he can only speak to my heart like nobody else can. He says, this is the work of God. If you want to focus on something, crowd, believe in him. That's what he said to them. Now, the, when it comes to the works of Jesus, he also said a few chapters later, he said, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these, he will do because I go to my Father. And so the first requirement, and really the only requirement, is just believe. Trust in God. Have the confidence and the firm rock of Jesus be the backbone of everything. That is the first step, which then leads to the signs, which then leads to the works. But when you seek the signs, you don't get them. When you seek the works, you don't get them. When you seek Jesus, you find everything. And so this is where we talk, the focus needs to be. We can get excited about a lot of other things, but if the focus isn't on a firm trust in God, everything else becomes a shaky ground of which you can build nothing else on. Amen? Amen. And we see this reflected again in one of the great faith chapters of verses of the Bible in Mark 11, 23 and 24. You know, Jesus uh, was speaking to his disciples after he had spoken to the fig tree. 
and he commanded, cursed it, and it commanded it to die. And then next time they were passing by, Peter said, look, Jesus, the fig tree that you cursed has shriveled up and died. And then he begins to talk to them about faith. And we focus on 23 and 24 and often ignore the very first verse that he said in 22. Jesus said to them, have faith in God. Have a firm trust, a firm persuasion, an unshakable mentality and trust in what God has done, what God is, and who you are to him. Have your faith, faith fully trusting in God. And then it says, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now, he's not talking about you going out and rearranging the physical landscape of this earth. I think he did a pretty good job. I've been to the Sierra Nevada, Nevadas and the Rockies, and they're beautiful. God did good mountains, and he put them in great places. You know, sometimes I wish they were a little bit closer so that I could see them more often. But you don't need to go move physical mountains, but there will be mountains and obstacles that will arise in your life that you can, when you have faith in God and trust in Him, you can speak to and say, no, I know my God, I know in whom I have believed, and you will bow your knee because I'm going through, and you shall not be an obstacle. If I have to use some dynamite on you, I will, and that dynamite is called faith. And he says, therefore I say to you, Whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. And these are the great verses of faith in the Bible, but it all starts with the faith must first be placed in God. Your trust must be in Him, not in yourself, not in what someone else can do for you, or what might happen down the road. No, in an ever-present God who is there to help. And so we always have to bring back our remembrance to who is my God. Come on, think about this for a second. He created everything that you see. Anything that you can physically see existed in him. And he spoke it into this earth. And when we think about it, just how much the universe is ever expanding, those words of let there be life and those acts of creation in Genesis are still continuing to fan out across our universe and beyond our universe into other universes that we can only see from a distance, but we can't know what's in it. God created all of that and how much when he says you're his prized creation. Who? Who is my God? He's the one that can't fail. That no word that he says will return to him void. But each one is filled with the power and it goes forth to do to accomplish what he spoke it to do. Everything he says comes to pass. There's actually a verse in Genesis that really backs this up. When God is mad at what Adam and Eve has done, he begins to say some things, and he's like, you know, if we don't do something about this, then nothing will be restrained from them, and God cuts his sentence off, because if he were to finish it, it would come to pass. But he cut it off so that he could then be like, Jesus is going to come and fix this. Man, who is your God? says the cattle on a thousand hill, the hills are his, the gold and the silver is his. Is there anything too hard for our God? No. So who is my God will bring you back to a belief and a faith and a trust in him? The second thing you always have to think about is who I am to him. I am his son. You're his son or his daughter. 
You've been created in his image and his likeness. He has given you dominion and authority over the works of his hands. Woo. Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me. Now you go. You take it and you go with it. That's who you are. You have been blood-bought, purchased. Your sins have been wiped away. Who's God and who are you? These will bring you back to a firm place of faith. You know, if you think about even what David said, and I used it in this week's hunger online, in Psalm chapter 8, verse 3, it says, When I consider your heavens, or a better way to say it is, God, when I think about everything you've done, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower. And here it says the angels. But the word that's used in the Hebrew is not the word for angels. It's the word Elohim, which is the word for God. It says he's made you a little lower than God. And have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion or authority over the works of your hands. And you have put all things under his feet. That's, it. That's David thinking about man. This is before Jesus, and he's also prophetically speaking of Jesus. But what did Paul say? Paul said that by the work of God, Jesus was raised up, and everything was put under his feet, everything in this world and everything that was to come. And then it says in the next chapter that he's raised you up, and he's made to sit together with him in heavenly places. So, Tove, come and have a seat right here. If I'm Jesus, and Toph is all you guys, and it says that everything is under Jesus' feet, and you're set, seated, seated with him, where's everything under you, with you? Under your feet. Yes. If it's under Jesus' feet, and you're sitting with him, yes. it's also under your feet. Yes. If he's seated far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, where are you sitting? far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. So what is it that could trip you up? What is it that could overcome you? What's going to knock you down? Nothing, because you're seated together with him in heavenly places. If that's where you sit, you don't sit there because of what you've done. You sit there because of what he's done. And so faith must be always begin with him. Okay, back to John chapter 6. So he says, they, they say, you know, what about the works? We want to do the works. And Jesus said, the work you need to do is believe. And so they then pivot again, and they say, well, therefore, uh, you know, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? What did they just say? They just said, dance monkey, I want you to perform for me. Show me something, show me something, and then I'll believe. This is a Thomas mentality at work where he said, I, I'm not going to believe Jesus has risen from the dead unless I can put my finger into the hole until I can thrust my hand into his side. Then only will I believe. And here's the followers of Jesus saying, no, unless you show me a sign, another sign, another work, these are the people he just multiplied loaves and fishes for. They've already seen enough. But again, their focus was not on him. They were focused on what was being done. And so they say to him, our fathers, you know, they ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you that bread. But my Father gives you true bread from heaven. Whew. 
And so last week, we were looking at Moses, weren't we? You know, they're looking at as Moses gave us bread from heaven. And Jesus said, no, he didn't. God gave them that bread. What was Moses' mentality, though? He said to God, God said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with me, then don't bring me up from here. Moses had a God-fixated mentality. Wherever you, God, that go, God, that's where I want to be. Whatever you're going to be doing, I want to be found in the middle of it. And it even gave him the tenacity to be able to say, God, please show me your glory. And God said, no, Moses, you ask too much. Moses, that's just too impertinent of you. You don't get to ask for those things Moses no he said I will make my goodness pass before you I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion so they try to bring Moses in to say Moses gave us bread and Jesus said no he didn't it's my father gave him bread and most assuredly he's now giving you the true bread from heaven who you know, think, think about the verse that says, seek those things that are above. Seek those things which are above. Verse 33 says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, Lord, give us this bread always. <laughs> They're still missing the point. They're thinking with their natural bellies rather than the hunger and the drive that we've been talking about, that we've been stirring up. And so they say, Lord, give us this bread always. Let me eat of it every day so that I would be naturally filled. And Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And we talked about here in Matthew 5, verse 6, where it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. The Beatitudes are cyclical in nature. They, if you were hungry before, he'll fill you. If you're hungry again, he'll fill you. If you were poor, the hall of heaven stands at attention to fill the need. Whatever it is you need, those Beatitudes are cyclical. You will find yourself in a hungry position, but the bread of life will satisfy you. Hallelujah. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Okay, so I want to get into some practical things here this morning before we wrap up. And we want to ask this question. How do we experience the presence of God regularly? Am I the only one interested in that? No, I know you guys are. Come on. How do we experience the presence of God regularly? This is not supposed to be a church thing. You know, I remember one minister saying, you know, oh, we all, we have these mountaintop experiences, you know, where we're, we're so good and we're experiencing God's goodness, but then he brings us back down into the valley and you just don't feel it the same way. No, that's, that's not God. God is with me all the time. And so if he's present with me right now, where the Bible says he's an ever-present help in time of need, Come on, if he said he'll never leave me nor forsake me, that means that right now he's here. And where could he go where his presence is not? Nowhere. And so the first step of beginning to experience the presence of God more and more is acknowledge him. How rude it would be, Jessica, come here, I'll pick on you this time. 
If Jessica was here in the room with me all day, every day, nonstop, being her over-the-top crazy self, and I never once said, good morning, Jessica, how's it going for you, you know? Wouldn't it be so rude of me to be in the room all day with Jessica every day and never just acknowledge that she's there? But isn't God there? Isn't God here? And so, thank you, Jessica. Solomon said, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. When you wake up tomorrow morning, say, God, I know you're here. Good morning. Act like he's there because he is. Acknowledge him. You know, David also said in Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. Think about that. Your most trying time of your life, hell on earth, is right there. So the first step is acknowledging him. If he's there, act like he's there. Treat him like a friend. Treat him like someone who's physically there. Speak to him. Number two, invite him into the mundane. You know, I've been rereading a book this week. I, I had to actually go and steal it back from Pastor Wendy. It's an old book from a guy named Brother Lawrence. He died 330 years ago yesterday. And the book is called The Practice of the Presence of God. And it's a collection of letters that he had written to, to people. He was a monk, and he made his whole life about acknowledging the presence of God and walking out the reality that he was there and that he was deeply involved in everything that he did. And when he first became a Christian, he said he really always struggled with the concept that, you know, am I really saved? He'd wake up in the morning and be like, am I saved? Am I not? Are my sins forgiven? Are they not? But he said that as he began to acknowledge God and pretend like he was there and here with this point, invite him into the mundane, he's like, to experience him in ways that I didn't before. And the more that I just said, God, I invite you into this moment. I ask for your grace to peel these potatoes. I ask for your grace to make these shoes. He's like, as I just did that, I begin to experience him more and more and more. And he, he by his own admission, he says I, he was not a very intelligent person. He said, I, I didn't have many natural skills and for the first 14 years that he was working in the monastery, they put him in the kitchen. And he's like, I hated cooking. He said, but as I invited God in to what I would do just naturally, peeling the carrots, peeling the potatoes, making the food, I began to enjoy it. And I would have such wonderful times with the presence of God. And then they moved him into the shoe, shoe section where they were making shoes for their community. And he's like, I couldn't do it. I was really bad at it. And he began to get bite God into it. I asked for your grace right here in this moment doing this very natural thing. And he began to get better. And 
And it got to the point that they started sending him into town to do business on behalf of the monastery. And he's like, I'm not a very intelligent person. He's like, God, I need your wisdom. I invite you into this moment right now that you walk with me. Let your words be my words. And as he began to do that, the monastery began to flourish. And they were just so blessed. He said, God, I didn't seek your blessing, but as I sought you, I found you. And so invite him into the mundane. You sit down at your desk and you say, God, I invite you into this day. I ask you for your grace in this moment right now. I know that you're with me. Help me write this email. Help me do this task. Help me drive this truck. Help me teach these kids. Whatever it is you do at any point throughout the day, invite him into it. Say, be involved with me. Because the Bible says without him you can do no thing. Even your most talented aspects get better with the grace of God. Invite it in. Number three, talk to him and not just about him. We have a bad tendency as Christians of talking about God and not talking to him. And I'm just as guilty as just a few months ago. I was complaining about something. Somebody had done something. I don't even remember what it is now. And I was in a bad mood, and I was just like trying to get myself out of this bad mood. And I was just like, oh, it's okay. God will sort it out. He'll he'll do it. He'll do it. And the Holy Spirit corrected me, and he just softly said to my heart, he said, why don't you talk to me instead of about me? And I said, okay. (laughs) God, I know that you'll come through for me. That this situation, while it seems big at the moment, I know it's not big in the light of you. Talk to him. Like we were already saying, acknowledge him. Good morning, God. I know you're here with me. Holy Spirit, your presence surrounds me right now. That you are my life. You are my sustaining force. Talk to him as a person isn't that how Moses spoke with him last week? Said that God would speak to him as one talks to a friend. We don't have to get wrapped up in big words. We can just say, hey God, how's it going? And that's exactly how we teach our kids to pray. Hey God, just talk to him. Talk to him. Last point. If you seek the spectacular, you will often miss out on the supernatural. God is not always in the big, demonstrative things. Sometimes the most precious moments you will ever have in your life are the little interactions with God. And the little things end up becoming the big things. So, this morning, as we've been talking about Jesus being his flesh, being what we should his blood being what we should drink. I thought there was nothing better that we should do to end this message today than to take communion together. Because that's what he was talking about. He wasn't saying, physically eat me and physically drink me. But as he said to his own disciples in the Last Supper, he gave them the bread and they all took a piece. They gave him the cup and they all took a drink. And he said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. And so this morning, in John chapter 6 and verse 54, it says, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. And he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and 
I in him. So let's take of this bread or this cracker, this styrofoam. (laughs) Man, it tastes like cardboard, but they're easy to package. Let's break and eat. God, we thank you for your body, which was broken for us. We thank you for the healing that it speaks to us. That you said that by your stripes, we were healed. So right now, if there's anything ailing our bodies, we speak health to it in Jesus' name. We thank you that the stripes were for me, and there's nothing that the stripes did not cover. And so we thank you for healing in Jesus' name. Now let's take up the cup, and let's partake. God, we thank you for your blood, Jesus, that you shed for us. We thank you that it is what signs the new covenant that we stand in. And it is a better covenant than the old one, based on better promises. We thank you that because of your blood, we have been declared righteous. That you have washed our sins away. And though they were very dark and red before, now they are as white as snow because of your work. And so we just take this moment right now and say, thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Thank you for your blood, and we give you praise for it, in Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Just say this with me, I hunger. God, I hunger for you. Above all else, I seek you, in Jesus' name, amen. Now maybe you've been watching us this morning via the internet, thank you for joining us. You haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life, now is the time. Don't wait another moment. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't be good enough. But you can receive the blood of Jesus and step into the kingdom. So we would love to pray with you right now. Come on, church, say, Father, I ask for Jesus. I invite him into my life right now. I turn from all else and I call you my Lord. that prayer with us we would love for you to get in contact with us we'd love to get you hooked up with a good church in your area and get some resources into your hands if you're in the smith falls area we'd say welcome home we would love to walk this journey together with you now guys our word care team is going to be up here in just a moment and they would love to pray with you and believe with you for anything you know there's no problem that is too big for god and he said that if two or three agree as touching anything on this earth that it shall be done for them so make use of them if you need prayer for anything If you would like to give this morning, you can do so at wordchurch.ca forward slash give, or there's uh, envelopes in the front and a basket at the back, but we just thank you for partnering together with us. Go ahead and say this again. I hunger. Let that hunger stir. Let it grow, and you will find yourself satisfied in ways you've never known. You guys are blessed. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you all soon.